Israel is so much more than Krav Maga or falafel, and Jewish continuity has far greater meaning than watching Fiddler on the Roof with your kids. Welcome to the Thrive Study Abroadcast, the show where we will talk about modern Israel, Jewish values, and everything in between. I'm your host, Adi Isaacs, director of Thrive Study Abroad. For the last 15 years, I've seen how a semester or more in Israel will change a student forever. In this podcast, incredible students and people just like them share how Israel and Jewish values not only inspire them, but empower them to make an impact. Yala, Achi, and welcome to the show. Hey, everybody, sitting here with one of, one of my good friends, Matthew Weiss, Matt Weiss, who's on Thrive, Tel Aviv, Spring 2019, from Penn. Hey, Matt, nice to see you. Hey, how are you, Adi? Good to see you. Good to catch up. Yeah, it's amazing. So, Matt, just give us a, before we get to the most interesting part of what you're about to do right now, which is crazy, I still can't wrap my head around it. But tell a little bit, you know, what, where did you study and, and how did you come to Tel Aviv and what have you been up to over the past, past few months? Absolutely. So I studied uh, at Penn. I was a typical business kid, studied undergrad business, finance and management, and then graduated and got an MBA in information systems, which is a little more technical degree, which is interesting. But you got tell- an MBA right after you graduated? Yep, right after. I finished college in three years, got the MBA in sort of the fourth and fifth year. But then COVID happened in the middle of all that. So as we all know, everyone's lives got thrown around and changed during these crazy times. Anyway, I came to leave my junior year. Wow. Uh, I often in life seek out a meaningful reason for anything. And, you know, abroad, a lot of people say, oh, it's a great party time. It's a great time of exploration, which it is and should be. But I felt that the connection to my Jewish roots, my Jewish heritage, and the state of Israel would be more meaningful. And I remember having the conversation specifically with a friend saying, listen, you know, I know people that went abroad to Barcelona or Singapore or Australia, and they had great times there, but they never had a connection with the place. Are they going to go back with their families to those places in 10, 15 years? I don't know. But if I go to Tel Aviv, which I already have somewhat of a connection to, or Israel, which I already have somewhat of a connection to, or Mitzvah, I'm missing and I have some cousins there, I'll always go back to that place. So my abroad would be a much more continuous, meaningful, long-term connected experience for me. So that was my personal reasoning there. Anyway, I went abroad as a full non-believer. I'll say that. Did not believe in God. Was strong, you know, Zionist tendencies and pro-Jewish tendencies, but was very, I remember debating with many people, God doesn't exist, totally doesn't exist, pretty adamantly, as many things I do are pretty adamant, and was fervent about that. You know, I remember like just purposely teasing and bothering those that, that were actually, did believe in God and more by the book of the religion. Before, yeah, before we get more into the broad experience, I would love to hear also just so after you graduated Penn, what did you end up doing? After I graduated Penn, I worked for a defense technology startup, which I say startup in the couch word. You know, yes, I joined the company when it was a lot smaller and it was bubbling of an idea, but it's now a massive unicorn. It's approaching a $5 billion valuation. It's was founded by a billionaire who created the Oculus Rift. It was funded by Peter Thiel. So the joke is, you know, the way What's I look at called? the world... It's called Android Industries. So not a consumer company. It's a defense technology company. So it's not like you're buying their products. It flies under the radar in many ways. But, you know, when you look at startups, you know, some startups are picked for greatness from the day they were founded. 
and have an unfair advantage, right? So the average startup parts out, doesn't return its capital, you know, raises a few rounds and whatever. This was created by someone who already created the Oculus Rift. So he had literally a billion dollars that he was willing to put into this company from day one. And from day one, just skyrocketed up into one of those massive unicorn story companies. So it was kind of cool. So I, I, the joke was like, yeah, I joined a startup, but it wasn't really ever a startup. It was already destined to be an enterprise company from day one. And I saw that happen. So my, over my time there, it went from this small bubbling seed, you know, and it 5X in people size. It bought two, three major companies, uh, you know, other acquisitions. It grew internationally, you know, millions in sales. It became a very interesting story and it was super, super interesting. I, well, it, was, it sounds like things that you probably can't talk much about. That's what happened to the company. But can, oh, you, tell yeah. us, can you tell us one of the coolest or maybe scariest things that, that you saw coming absolutely. out of the company? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. There are certain things that are totally behind security clearance walls, but the company itself is, we like to say the future of warfare. It's a hardware enabled software company, meaning it's looking at how countries and allied governments will defend themselves in the future and truly through software, but embedded on like hardware and drones. So the coolest and scariest thing, let's see, I did a lot of finance M&A stuff, which is interesting, but that's not maybe the coolest, scariest. The coolest thing was going to Yuma Proving Ground, which is the middle of nowhere, Arizona, USA. It's right on the border of Mexico. They used to do missile, nuclear missile tests there. Pretty crazy place that not the average Jewish kid, probably the only I'll say this, I was probably the only Jewish kid there, Jewish person on the base, put it that way. Jewish person ever to step foot in Yuma, Arizona, maybe even. And there was a huge event with the Secretary of Defense, massive test event. And what we did, which is really awesome, was we, from an autonomous helicopter, so fully autonomous helicopter, with no man inside, you know, fully making its own decisions, launched then our own fully autonomous drone from the helicopter to go execute some classified whatever mission. And the point is, for the first time, I saw a robot literally thinking and leading the decision chain, launch another robot thinking and leading the decision chain where the only human interaction was, you know, one, you know, you know, potential kill switch was where we said the human wasn't doing anything. It was only if something wow. went horribly wrong. So that's the future of warfare as well as the future of the world in many ways. And is extremely cool at the same time, extremely frightening, right? Because, wow. you know, what are we bringing about, right? Are we bringing about our end? Who knows? Okay, that, I sound like we talk about this for hours, but I want to pivot to one last thing. It's just, I knew this was always a dream of yours, but can you tell me what you're actually doing at the end of this week? Yes, at the end of this week is crazy. You know, I'll start off with this. I my I had a bar mitzvah here, you know, two, I, I had one in Masada and had one here for the locals. And my bar mitzvah here, the rabbi said the following to me. He called me Mashugna, which is kind of an insult. My grandparents were insulted at the time. I think, it, I, think it's I think it's accurate. But it's decently <laughs> accurate, you know? And he called me that. And I thought it was great, hilarious. My parents were like, I can't believe the rap I said that, whatever. I guess that was my tendency back in, uh, 10 years ago when I was 13. That but anyway, know, Mashugna means crazy. So means crazy, yeah, yeah. And that, it's literally what he said in his, his sermon in my wrist. Funny. So what he he said that I've always wanted to do unique things, different whatever. So what happened was, as I worked in this military technology company, I was following a larger, broader dream, which was to serve my country. Um, and I I was in in a way by working in the company serving, but not actually serving in uniform. And I've always had the dream. And most people, including my friends, have said you're crazy. You're never going to do it. Your Wharton grad is going to end up in a finance job. Whatever. 
And I said, no, just you wait, just you wait. I made a lot of bets. I was smart. I made a lot of monetary bets with people saying, if I do this, you have to owe me money, whatever. And now a lot of them are like, oh my gosh, I actually have to pay money. And that is to go and actually serve in the United States military and become an officer in the United States Marine Corps, which is rather unique path in some ways, right? Because I don't know any other Jewish kid that's going to the U.S. military or that's going to the United States Marine Corps. Because the Marine Corps is- Do you, do you know any Wharton graduate from- Undergrad and graduate school that goes to the, to the more Marine Corps? No, it's interesting. So I, I don't know a single undergraduate that is the United States Marine Corps. I'll put it that way. Not a single Wharton undergrad. Some Wharton MBAs are former Marines who then get their MBAs. And they actually became mentors to me, which was nice. And that was good, but not certainly not the undergrads. And, and certainly not, again, certainly no, no Jews. So the joke is I'll, I'll probably be the only Jew that I really interact with for most of my time there. The Marine Corps is a particularly vicious and tough branch of the mili- of the United States military. It's looked at as it's the smallest of the services and it's really often looked at as the first to fight, the toughest, it's the most nimble and most aggressive for that matter, which I don't necessarily consider myself an aggressive person, but it'll be interesting to be in this organization that's rather aggressive. Nonetheless, I'm extremely excited for this challenge. It'll be a unique aspect of life and I can talk about how my, I think my Judaism has prepared me for this, hopefully, but you know, you leave the questions there, but it'll be in one week where I basically go from this nice northern New Jersey, uh, typical story kind of kid to uh, getting screamed at in boot camp by a massive drill instructor and making to do crazy, uh, made to do crazy tasks. So I have a question. That Will is, you be able to next week FaceTime me in two weeks and tell me how the experience is going? Uh, unfortunately not. I give away my phone for 10 weeks. I give away all really connection with the outside world. I can get some letters in from my family. I don't get to really put anything out. I don't have any free time. I have seven days, you know, work seven days a week, work, you know, train seven days a week, communal showers, communal bathrooms, communal living, food. Uh, they give us six, they give us three meals a day, but they only give us six minutes to eat those three meals. So a lot of people lose a lot of weight. You know, I'll be, I'm predicting 15 to 20 pound drop, which is fine. You know, not the happiest about that, but I'll be okay. Shaved head and everything. Wow. So you're li- literally, your entire life is changing. You are on this trajectory to uh, be super successful in the world from Hopefully. most people, layman's terms. And you're basically giving this all up. So if you'd have to summarize it in one line, obviously you don't believe you're giving it up because it's a choice. So wh- what's the reason for it? So it's a, it's a dual fold answer. It's a good question. It's on the one hand, I believe this will personally benefit me more than anything. I'll learn about myself more than anything. I'll learn about leading people. I have a platoon of 50 people under my command, you know, within a couple months, that's a great leadership experience. And, you know, it'll be a great, you know, investment for myself and my future development. So that's what I believe I'm getting. Now, really reason why and why giving is the fact that I, I believe, you know, why not me? Why not I? I mean, Certain aspects of the country, usually poor and less educated people join the military and, you know, different, you know, military backgrounds, whatever. And I've been given a lot in life and I believe that I owe the country this and I believe that I have to serve and go do this. And I believe I can make a positive impact on my, my Marines that are under my command and the Marines that I'm training with. And for that reason, owe it to the country. And I believe that is, you know, service is in a way a, a duty, right? And I want that. So for that reason... I am uh, excited I mean, to go. One, one, one other quick question. So how do you plan on infusing Judaism into your life in the military 
when your schedule is not your schedule and you don't get to nope. make your autonomous decisions. So how are you going to then infuse some Jewish life into your experience there for the next two years? Exactly. And, you know, as, as you know, and for anyone listening, I was someone who, after my Israel abroad experience, kept Shabbat. And I've kept Shabbat every weekend since that Israel abroad experience. And going to the military, you can't keep Shabbat. I can't go to the jewelry truck and say, you know, today, religious reason, really can't go out for training today, you know, but put the rifle away and, and just take it easy, you know? It's not how it really works. But I believe that observing the Sabbath, right, you know, can be done, and as, as I've learned, by marking its beginning and marking its end, by saying a few prayers during that time. On the, when the Sabbath comes, right, not being a leader like I am maybe the six other days of the week, but taking a softer approach to training that day. So instead of, you know, trying to be the fastest runner that day, I'll be in the middle of the pack that day. I'll, you know, take one less hour to study that day. I'll give myself a little bit more time, a little more freedom. And by doing that, I will, you know, observe and keep my Judaism and mark the Sabbath. In that way. Amazing. So you're really just going to also, aside from doing some small actions, you're going to internalize the meaning of it and exactly. create your safe space internally. And I have a keeper with me. I have it to fill in with me. I'll be able to quickly, you know, Two minutes to get with four lights out or so, be able to, you know, squeeze that in there, but also make it a memorial thing. And that'll be something important. And I look at myself as this will be the first, I'll be the first Jewish person that many of these people have met. I'll certainly be the only person with the fill in there and trying to explain our people and make a good light of our people with these, my fellow Americans who are not usually exposed to Jews those that are joining the Marine Corps. And it's, it goes without saying the respect that you will have at the end of this in terms of being a light for the Jewish people coming out of it, there'll be un, new, newfound respect, I'm sure, for, exactly. for Matt, Matt Weiss. So anyhow, Matt, I know that you only have a few hours left of packing before you can actually Literally, on your whole life. It up. So I, I thank you so much for giving us time. I love you, man. And you looking too. forward to hearing from you on the other side in, the, in, the, in a little bit of time. Awesome. Awesome. You're the best. See ya, see ya, see ya. And thank you for everything, Adi. And thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please help us reach more people by subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For more content like this, visit our website at thrivestudyabroad.org.